0: You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at
1: CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is obscure the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. I am your host, your friend, your confidant, your advocate, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, Michael E. N. Black. I did just say E. N., which has no spelling. You can't, I don't even think you could spell en E, period, I guess, E. N. E. N. Black. And I am delighted to join you to resume our story, which has become so rich with meaning, has become so pertinent to our day. I mean, that's what, that's, I guess, what a classic is, right? It's good then, it's good now, right? It's a classic. It's like a BLT. It's good when uh, when they made it up back there, and it's good today, and it's going to be good tomorrow. Everybody loves a BLT. I said, I'm sure they do. We looked it up. Damn right they do. Last episode, last extra long episode of Obscure found Richard Phillotson meeting with his old friend Gillingham at Gillingham's place. And Phillotson just needed to unburden himself. And so Hardy contrived a character. That we'd never heard of before and we'll probably never hear of again. And Phillotson went to Gillingham's house. Gillingham said, oh, Richard, nice to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah. And we'd never heard of you before, but now Richard needs to say some things. And so he needs somebody to say them too. Voila, Gillingham. And Phillotson just unburdened himself in the most remarkable way and said, essentially, Sue wants to leave me and she's right. All the conventions that I have held in my heart and head for all these many years uh, have proven to be utter nonsense, to be bullshitted. They are bullshitted constructs that we just live in. And I can't justify them to myself anymore if it means my poor wife, Sue, is going to spend her days in sorrow. I mean, she almost killed herself for God's sake. And, And what am I doing? other than holding her back. And Gillingham said, my God, man, are you talking about matrimony? My God, man, what will happen if women are just able to do what they please? And Richard saying, I don't know. I don't care. Sue's upset. Sue needs something else. And I had no business tricking her into marrying me. Which was, I thought, a remarkable statement on his behalf. And so Phillotson has just left Gillingham. Gillingham has basically said, you know, stick with it. It's all going to be fine. Phillotson uh, walking away says, aye, aye, ay, whatever you say. And that's where we left off. So Phillotson's walking home now to, I guess, speak to Sue about his decision. But when Phillotson was alone under the clouds of night, and no sound was audible but that of the purling tributaries of the Stour, he said. So, Gillingham, my friend, you had no stronger arguments against it than those. I think she ought to be smacked and brought to her senses. That's what I think, murmured Gillingham as he walked back alone. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess we know where Hardy's sympathies lie. They're with Phillotson, you know, Gillingham, who had not put up, like Phillotson says, not much of an argument other than saying these are the conventions. This is what we do. Everybody will laugh at you if you let Sue go live with her cousin. Um, So Gillingham was putting up, you know, a weak defense. And I, I guess it was the best defense Hardy could muster because Hardy himself clearly is on Phillotson's side. And now that Gillingham is walking back by himself, <laughs> Hardy makes him in kind of a, into kind of a monster. And he's like, I think mean, he just beat the shit out of her. <laughs> so, you know. The next morning came, and at breakfast, Phillotson told Sue, You may go with whom you will. I absolutely and unconditionally agree having once come to this conclusion it seemed to fill in more and more indubitably the true one his mild serenity at the sense that he was doing his duty by a woman who was at his mercy almost overpowered his grief at relinquishing her some days passed and the evening of their last meal together had come A cloudy evening with wind. Oh, well, that sounds like foreshadowing to me, guys. I mean, the clouds are literally casting a shadow and there's wind a blowing. But look, we knew it was going to we knew there was not going to be happiness here. But for the moment, Sue is going to do something. She's going to go off. Okay. so the cloudy evening wind, which indeed was very seldom absent in this elevated place how permanently it was imprinted upon his vision, that look of her as she glided into the parlor to tea, a slim, flexible figure, a face strained from its roundness and marked by the pallors of restless days and nights, suggesting tragic possibilities quite at variance with her times of buoyancy a trying of this morsel and that and an inability to eat either. Well, that is the perfect description of Sue's character, right? A trying of this morsel and that and an inability to eat either. There she is in a sentence. Her nervous manner, begotten of a fear lest he should be injured by her course, might have been interpreted by a stranger as displeasure that Phillotson intruded his presence on her for the few brief minutes that remained. You had better have a slice of ham or an egg or something with your tea. You can't travel on a mouthful of bread and butter. She took the slice he helped her to, And they discussed as they sat trivial questions of housekeeping, such as where he would find the key of this or that cupboard, what little bills were paid, and what not. I am a bachelor by nature, as you know, Sue, he said, in a heroic attempt to put her at her ease. So that being without a wife will not really be irksome to me, as it might be to other men who have had one a little while." I have, too, this grand hobby in my head of writing the Roman antiquities of Wessex, which will occupy all my spare hours. If you will send me some of the manuscript to copy at any time as you used to, I will do it with so much pleasure, she said, with amenable gentleness. I should much like to be some help to you still as a friend." Phillotson mused and said, "'No, I think we ought to be really separate, if we are to be at all. "'And for this reason, that I don't wish to ask you any questions, "'and particularly wish you not to give me any information "'as to your movements or even your address. "'Now, what money do you want? "'You must have some, you know.' "'Oh, of course, Richard, I couldn't think of having any of your money "'to go away from you with.' I don't want any either. I have enough of my own to last me for a long while, and Jude will let me have. I would rather not know anything about him if you don't mind. You are free, absolutely, and your course is your own. Very well, but I'll just say that I have packed only a change or two of my own personal clothing and one or two little things besides that are my very own. I wish that you would look into my trunk before it is closed. Besides that, I have only a small parcel that will go into Jude's portmanteau. Of course, I shall do no such thing as examine your luggage. (laughs) She's basically saying, come on, just look look in my uh, suitcase to make sure I haven't stolen the silver. Like, I haven't stolen the silver, Richard. I'm not a monster. (laughs) See, I'm a lovely person, really. (laughs) Oh. "'Of course I shall do no such thing as examine your luggage. "'I wish you would take three-quarters of the household furniture. "'I don't want to be bothered with it. "'I have a sort of affection for a little of it "'that belonged to my poor mother and father, "'but the rest you are welcome to whenever you like to send for it. "'That I shall never do. "'You go by the 6.30 train, don't you? "'It is now a quarter to six. "'You don't seem very sorry I am going, Richard.' "'Oh, no, perhaps not.' I like you much for how you have behaved. It is a curious thing that directly I have begun to regard you as not my husband, but as my old teacher. I like you. I won't be so affected as to say I love you because you know I don't. (laughs) You don't have to rub it in, Sue. Just, you know, you can leave some things back. You know what I mean? Martha does this to me all the time, you know? I mean, she she loves me, but she says some shit that she she doesn't need to say. Like, um, you look nice today, she might say, other than, you know, the zit you have on your nose. Something like that. Because you know I don't, except as a friend, but you do seem that to me sue was for a few moments a little tearful at these reflections and then the station omnibus came round to take her up phillotson saw her things put on the top handed her in and was obliged to make an appearance of kissing her as he wished her goodbye which she quite understood and imitated From the cheerful manner in which they parted, the omnibusman had no other idea than that she was going for a short visit. When Phillotson got back into the house, he went upstairs and opened the window in the direction the omnibus had taken. Soon the noise of its wheels died away. He came down then, his face compressed like that of one bearing pain. He put on his hat and went out, "'following by the same route for nearly a mile. "'Suddenly turning round, he came home. "'He had no sooner entered than the voice of his friend Gillingham "'greeted him from the front room. "'Gillingham's back, that's nice, after a page and a half or so. "'I could make nobody here, so finding your door open, "'I walked in and made myself comfortable. "'I said I would call, you remember.' "'Yes, I am much obliged to you, Gillingham, particularly for coming tonight. "'How is Mrs.? She is quite well. "'She is gone. Just gone. "'That's her teacup that she drank out of only an hour ago. "'And that's the plate. She... Phillotson's throat got choked up, and he could not go on. "'He turned and pushed the tea-things aside.' Have you had any tea, by the by? He asked presently in a renewed voice. No, yes, well, never mind, said Gillingham, preoccupied. Gone, you say she is? Yes, I would have died for her, but I wouldn't be cruel to her in the name of the law. She is, as I understand, gone to join her lover. What they are going to do, I cannot say. Whatever it may be, She has my full consent to, to, she's going to join her lover. She's going to do, she's going to make love brah. That's what she's going to do brah. She's going to make some love, you know, she couldn't do it with you, but she's going to do it with him. She's a lover for God. He's a lover for God's sake. Come on, brah. Don't be so thick in the head, brah. Come on now. That's what she's going to do. There was a stability, a ballast in Phillotson's pronouncement, which restrained his friend's comment. Shall I leave you, he asked. No, no, it's a mercy to me that you, I've made Gillingham into kind of, in my head now, he's kind of like a porcine figure, and he's got that sort of blah, 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 marbly mouth that porcine British men acquire. So that's what I've I've given, I've given him piggish marble mouth. Uh, Shall I, shall I leave you, he asked. No, no, it's a mercy to me that you have come. I have some articles to arrange and clear away. Would you help me? gillingham assented and having gone to the upper rooms the schoolmaster opened drawers and began taking out all sue's things that she had left behind and laying them in a large box she wouldn't take all i wanted her to he continued but when i made up my mind to her going to live in her own way i did make up my mind some men would have stopped at an agreement to separate i've gone into all that and don't wish to argue it I was and am the most old-fashioned man in the world on the question of marriage. In fact, I had never thought critically about its ethics at all. But certain facts stared me in the face, and I couldn't go against them. They went on with the packing silently. When it was done, Phillotson closed the box and turned the key. There, he said, to adorn her in somebody's eyes— never again in mine. Well, that is a finality, a great end to the chapter of four, the the fourth chapter. I mean, there's really no reason to say the chapter of four, but I did just like I said, en. anyway, who knows what's going to happen as we progress to the chapter of five. But we will find out after a short break
0: here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury or something worse, we are usually more comfortable, you know, kind of rubbing some dirt on it than going to see the doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. 70% of guys who experience ED do not Get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to get treated online. Roman is a one stop shop where you can chat with a licensed physician who can treat ED and ship medication right to your door. No more waiting rooms, awkward face to face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. You can handle everything discreetly. Online, Just visit GetRoman.com slash obscure, complete an online visit, chat with a doctor, and if the doctor decides it would be safe and appropriate, they will ship medication right to your door in unmarked packaging. With Roman, tackling erectile dysfunction is simple. I'm guilty of this too, not necessarily of uh, having untreated erectile dysfunction, but having untreated other stuff. I'm one of those guys who is reluctant to go see a doctor. My way of thinking is always, oh, it will be fine. And that's why I had toenail fungus for 30 years. For a free online visit, go to getroman.com slash obscure. That's getroman.com slash obscure for a free online visit. Getroman.com slash obscure. Welcome back to obscure. Chapter four just concluded. Uh and there you have it. Sue's gone. Sue's gone phillotson ha- is saying look what could i do i could do nothing else i would have died for her but i can't make her suffer under the law and in a sense he is dying for her right i mean he's killing himself in a certain sense he's killing all his hopes of a future filled with love because let's face it we already know the guy is on death's door he's in his 40s he's not gonna he's not gonna meet anybody else he's gonna be a, a bachelor Uh, living in the past, writing his book on Roman antiquities of Wessex, a book nobody will ever read. But he's the most old fashioned man in the world. That's what he's doing. He lives in a past that he can no longer reconcile with the present. He believes in marriage, but he doesn't believe in his own. So something tragic and beautiful about it. Chapter five, four and 20 hours before this time. So, Hardy gets to say four and 20 hours instead of 24 hours, but I can't say, what did I say? The, the chapter of fourth, fourth, the chapter. What did I just say? I don't know. You know, you get my point. Hardy Hardy gets to talk all fancy. I can't do it. Four and 20 hours before this time, Sue had written the following note to Jude. It is as I told you, and I am leaving tomorrow evening. Richard and I thought it could be done with less obtrusiveness after obtrusiveness, excuse me, after dark. I feel rather frightened and therefore ask you to be sure you are on the Melchester, Melchester platform to meet me. I arrive at a little too seven. I know you will, of course, dear Jude, but I feel so timid that I can't help begging you to be punctual. He has been so very kind to me through it all. Now, to our meeting, as she was carried by the omnibus further and further down from the mountain town, the single passenger that evening, she regarded the receding road with a sad face, but no hesitation was apparent therein. The up train by which she was departing stopped by signal only. To Sue, it seems strange that such a powerful organization as a railway train should be brought to a standstill on purpose for her, a fugitive from her lawful home. That's interesting. I just have to think that through for a second. So Sue, the modern woman, is saying how peculiar that a modern conveyance such as a railway train should be brought to stop on my accord. Such a powerful organization as an entire railway system should give pause for little old me. And yet that is what seems to be happening. The 20 minutes journey drew towards its close and Sue began gathering her things together to alight. At the moment that the train came to a standstill by the Melchester platform, a hand was laid on the door and she beheld Jude. He entered the compartment promptly. He had a black bag in his hand and was dressed in the dark suit he wore on Sundays and in the evening after work. Altogether, he looked a very handsome young fellow, his ardent affection for her burning in his eyes. Oh, Jude, she clasped his hand with both hers. And her tense state caused her to simmer over in a little succession of dry sobs. I, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just not a good actor. I mean, that's a terrible thing to say because that is, in fact, my profession. But the, the, a little succession of dry sobs may be beyond me. I, I am so glad. I get out here. no. I get in, dear one. I've packed. Besides this bag, I've only a big box, which is labeled. But don't I get out? Aren't we going to stay here? We couldn't possibly. Don't you see? We are known here. I, at any rate, am well known. I've booked for Brickham, and here's your ticket for the same place, as you have only one two here, as you have only one two here i booked for albert he's got her he got her train ticket i don't know the sentence doesn't make sense to me but he got her a train ticket so we can all we can all agree that he got her a train ticket bro that's what they're doing who said they were going to make love nah bro he got her a train ticket it's like that bro i thought we should have stayed here she repeated it wouldn't have done it all ah perhaps not there wasn't time for me to write and say the place I had decided on. Aldbrickham is a much bigger town, 60 or 70,000 inhabitants, and nobody knows anything about us there. And you have given up your cathedral work here? Yes, it was rather sudden, your message coming unexpectedly. Strictly, I might have been made to finish out the week, but I pleaded urgency, and I was let off." I would have deserted any day at your command, dear Sue. I have deserted more than that for you. Right? He deserted his entire religion, his entire way of thinking, the entire framework of his life, the scaffolding of his being. He allowed to be dismantled on behalf of her. And is it for the best? Who can say? But that's what we're doing, reading the book to find out. We're reading the book broad. That's why we're reading the book. I fear that I am doing you a lot of harm, ruining your prospects of the church, ruining your progress in your trade, everything. The church is no more to me. Let it lie. I am not to be one of, and now he's uh, quoting one of them poems and such. I am not to be one of, quote, the soldier saints who row on row burn upward each to his point of bliss. He's not going to martyr himself for the church. Why should he? if any such there be. My point of bliss is not upward, but here. Oh, gorgeous sentiment. He's saying, what am I doing this for? Not the not the reward of the next life. I'm doing it for the here and the now, brah. That's why I'm doing it. And... You know, this all goes back to him being in, well, I mean, it goes back to Mary Green, but but he really identified this feeling for the first time in Christminster when he was walking among all the buildings and looking at all the scholars and their, you know, their noses in their books. And then he'd go into the bars and he'd see the regular people having their regular times and their regular laughs and their regular fights. And he's saying, this is where life is, but he couldn't quite get there. He couldn't, he couldn't emerge from that scaffolding. He couldn't climb down, but now he has. And he's saying, this is all there is. And I'm with you. And that's all I care about. I don't care about the the next life. I care about this one my best suit on, our train tickets in hand. We're going to a city of strangers where nobody knows us and we don't know nobody. And we're gonna make a little life for ourselves. We are Jack and Diane, two American kids doing the best that we can. Oh, hey, it's obscure, Sue and Jude getting ready to hit the rails, but not without more self-exploration. And I don't mean that in the pervy sense. So we continue. This is Sue. Oh, I seem so bad upsetting men's courses like this, said she, taking up in her voice the emotion that had begun in his. But she recovered her equanimity by the time they had traveled a dozen miles. "'He has been so good in letting me go,' she resumed. "'And here's a note I found on my dressing-table, addressed to you.' "'Yes, he's not an unworthy fellow,' said Jude, glancing at the note. "'And I am ashamed of myself for hating him, because he married you. "'According to the rule of women's whims, I suppose I ought to suddenly love him, "'because he has let me go so generously and unexpectedly,' she answered, smiling.' but I am so cold or devoid of gratitude or so something that even this generosity hasn't made me love him or repent or want to stay with him as his wife. Although I do feel I like his large mindedness and respect him more than ever. So this seems like Hardy kind of saying, look, I know what I'm supposed to do as an author here. I know I'm supposed to have her go crawling back to him and saying that him letting her go has revealed to him, her, the love that he felt for her, yada, yada, yada. But Hardy, the author is going, I can't do that because it wouldn't be true. And Sue is in love with her cousin. And that's just what it is. And so they're going to be together and I'm not going to apologize for it. And, you know, again, I like Hardy for this. Hardy's saying, I'm not going to make it that easy on myself. Then Jude says, it may not work so well for us as if he had been less kind and you had run away against his will, murmured Jude. That I never would have done. So it makes me think like Hardy is kind of tossing over in his head in this exact moment that he writes these words, like what's going to happen next? Like, where am I going to take these two characters? And he's kind of playing with literary convention here. The classic way to do this would be just what I said, that she comes to her senses. The other way to do it would be that she ran away and that makes their love possible. Um, But Sue, who he knows, you know what I mean? Like Hardy knows Sue in a very deep way. And all of the questioning that I had done about Hardy earlier, I feel like was misplaced. That I felt like Hardy maybe doesn't really know Sue and that he is denying her the full spectrum of emotion that I know exists in all people. Like, for example, she had been playing with her feelings for Jude for months, for years, I don't know how long. Um, and sort of pretending that she didn't know about his feelings for her and denying her feelings for him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was sort of saying that's because, you know, Hardy doesn't know her well enough to know that these things are true. But I was the asshole in that scenario. Hardy knew the whole time, but Sue didn't know. And it was Sue's confusion that he was writing, not his own. And, you know, good on him. And bad on me for not trusting Thomas Hardy. Again, I'm the asshole. You're the asshole, brah. Jude's eyes rested musingly on her face. Then he suddenly kissed her and was going to kiss her again. No, only once now, please, Jude. That's rather cruel, he answered, (laughs) but acquiesced. Such a strange thing has happened to me, Jude continued after a silence. "'Arabella has actually written to ask me to get a divorce from her. "'In kindness to her,' she says. "'She wants to honestly and legally marry that man she has already married virtually "'and begs me to enable her to do it. "'What have you done?' "'I have agreed. "'I thought at first I couldn't do it without getting her into trouble about that second marriage, "'and I don't want to injure her in any way.' Perhaps she's no worse than I am, after all. But nobody knows about it over here, and I find it will not be a difficult proceeding at all. If she wants to start afresh, I have only two obvious reasons for not hindering her. Then you'll be free. Yes, I shall be free. Where are we booked for? She asked, with the discontinuity that marked her tonight. Aldbrickham, as I said. But it will be very late when we get there. Yes, I thought of that, and I wired for a room for us at the Temperance Hotel there. Oh, I like that he calls it the Temperance Hotel, don't you? Because there is no temperance now, right? They shall have no temperance at all. They're going to make love, bro, for the first time. They're going to make love. But there probably will be. I mean, look, they're still Thomas Hardy characters, and it's nothing but temperance with these two. You know, they're doing their best, but there's, you know, they're still bound up in temperance. So they got one hotel oh and she goes one yes one meaning one room and he says yes she looked at him oh jude sue bent her forehead against the corner of the compartment i thought you might do it and that i was deceiving you but i didn't mean that in the pause which followed jude's eyes fixed themselves with a stultified expression on the opposite seat well He said, (laughs) well, uh, she's like, wait, you only got one room. And he's like, yeah, you're running away to live with me. Like we're together now. Like I got one room and she's like, well, I didn't mean for you to do that. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's what Jude's going. Jude's going, wait, what? And Hardy writes, he remained in silence and seeing how discomfited he was, she put her face against his cheek, murmuring, don't be vexed, dear. Oh, there's no harm done, he said, but I understand it like that. Is this a sudden change of mind? You have no right to ask me such a question and I shan't answer, she said, smiling. My dear one, your happiness is more to me than anything, although we seem to verge on quarreling so often, and your will is law to me. I am something more than a mere selfish fellow, I hope. Have it as you wish. So he's saying, look, I'm more than just a horny dude, right? Like, yeah, I've been waiting a long time for this, and I can wait longer if that's what you want. Like, I, we can take it as slowly as you want, because your will is my law. On reflection his brow showed perplexity but perhaps it is that you don't love me now that you have become conventional much as under your teaching i hate convention i hope it is that not the other terrible alternative well i guess i'll stop now uh, with the question that has plagued their relationship from moment one, will they or won't they? Is Sue turning towards convention? Meaning, is she turning towards somebody who would not be with a man except under the uh, umbrella of marriage, just as he is turning away from convention and they are headed towards temperance? They are in a train compartment, united together, at last, jude now soon to be freed from marriage sue very much freed from her own both of them still married of course but only by law not by spirit and so the culmination of this new relationship he thought would be this evening at Aldbrickham as they start their new lives together and she's saying hey buddy keep it in your pants and he's saying all right whatever you want maybe i misinterpreted and i guess we'll find out next time whether or not in fact he did misinterpret on another horrifying episode of obscuring but until then i wish you all adieu Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. To subscribe and get more information, visit our show page at Earwolf.com. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can talk to us at obscurewithmichaelianblack at gmail.com. Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black.